Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 306, recorded October 5th, 2019. So today we're doing a mini-series that I was super looking forward to called The Q Conflict. Were? I was. Uh, now that we're halfway <laughs> through, I'm kind of a little disappointed, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be, but I still like it. But Yeah, yeah no, I mean, it's it's Star Trek, and it, I still like the characters, even though I'm really not digging the, the story itself. But uh, but basically, you know, the whole marketing was, you know, all your favorite Star Treks together for the first time, and, you know, they're fighting Q or something. And, uh, I mean, and that's all true, but uh, it's just not as interesting as I was hoping. Yeah, it's a mega crossover, so you got all the characters there. But you also have to have a story, uh, an entertaining, compelling story. So you have you need both bits, right? Which uh, I mean, I think after the first synopsis, after the first issue, uh, maybe we'll talk more about what the premise is and what I don't like about it. Okay. I could do it now, but then what if somebody is like, "I want to know what's going on by listening to your great synopsis." Uh, and I <laughs> your would awesome spoil, synopsis. Spoil it for that person. Your, your, your awesome detailed synopsis. Yeah, I, I, I'm telling you right now, listeners and, and Ken, uh, my synopsises are short because there's not a lot going on. It's all just like... Not a lot of meat. You know, hi, Mr. So-and-so. Hi, Mr. So-and-so. Yeah. Well, especially the you first know. one. Isn't there... All right, so a lot this of is setup. a spoiler. Isn't there actually a line where somebody says, calls Spock Mr. Spock or something like that, and then he corrects them or... Doctor Spock and he corrects him. Oh no, it's Mister Spock, or something like that. And I'm like, that 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 warranted a panel, <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I mean, it's great to see. I don't know Kirk and Picard. Well, we've seen them together before. Uh, Kirk and Cisco or Janeway. Sure, and, sure. It's great seeing them together. But if they don't have anything to talk about that's interesting, yeah, <clears throat> exactly. All right, so let's go into it a little bit, a little bit later. Okay. All right, so uh, any other housekeeping before we jump into issue number one? Nah. All right. Hold on, guys, because here we go. All right, so this is Star Trek Q Conflict number one. Came out January of 2019 by IDW. The writer is Scott and David Tipton. Fantastic writers. Pencils by David Mencina. Inks by Elisabetha D'Amico. Colors by Alexandra Alexkis. Letters by Neil Yutaki. Editorial assists by Annie Perhintubi. I mispronounced that. Just going to keep going. Edits by Chase Moretz and Denton J. Tipton. I wonder if that's a third Tipton brother. Since this is a new series and it's an issue number one, you know they got the covers. So cover number 1A is by David Mencia. It has a Q kind of in the background. And then inside of his silhouette, we see... Spock, Seven of Nine, Odo, and Picard. Cover 1B is also by David Mencia. And this has 
a uh, bearded gentleman uh, who we learn is an Organian, uh, or you maybe you recognize him from the episode. But inside of his silhouette, we see Chakotay, Sulu, Cisco, and Data. And then we have the RIA cover, which is kind of a cool like painting type thing. This is by George Custoldis. And it's kind of like a propaganda poster, I guess. But uh, it has like a, a whole bunch of militaristic looking people, which is Q and some in Trelane and some other people that I don't quite recognize. And then underneath them, we have uh, Picard, Janeway, Kirk, and Cisco. And then on the very bottom, it says, Virtute et Gloria. I don't know what that means. but And then the last cover, R.I.B. cover, is kind of a, just a painting by uh, J.K. Woodward. And it shows the movie-era Picard crew standing next to the Taz series Kirk crew, and then above both of them is Q's face. The story seems to take place shortly before the Star Trek Nemesis movie, because we're on Enterprise E, and they're all wearing those same uniforms, and, you know, Data's not dead, so must come before Nemesis. The Enterprise E is investigating a high number of supernovas in the Beta Quadrant. So they say the normal number of supernovas within the Milky Way would be, you know, two to eight per year. But uh, here recently, they've had eight in the last two days. Data then informs the crew that Cestus III's sun is increasing in size and will soon go critical. He also states that there is not enough time with all the ships coming to the rescue to save the whole planet. En route to Cestus III, another star suddenly goes supernova. The Enterprise is able to ride out the storm with little to no damage. They eventually make it to Cestus III and beam down to the planet. The skies are red as blood, as the sun will soon engulf the whole planet, with all of the people still on it. Suddenly, the sun reverts back to its normal yellow color, and the sky turns to a peaceful blue. Perplexed, the crew go back up to the ship, and they review all the sensor logs, when one of the screens suddenly show a red and white grid pattern. Somehow, Picard knows what this means, and he yells out, Damn! He then goes to the bridge and asks Worf to open a hailing frequency, and he calls out to Q, who he is assuming is out there listening. There's no answer on the comm, but when Picard arrives in his ready room, he finds Q at his desk. Q tells him that the Q Continuum and other powerful entities have a war every few thousand years, and that's what's happening now. And that's the cause of the uptick in supernovas. Picard rebukes Q for his lack of compassion, and Q gets an idea and flashes himself and Picard away. They find themselves rematerialized in a beautiful garden complete with sculptures made out of bushes. Q then talks to three glowing orbs of light, and he proposes that the humans work out their problems this time. The orbs agree, and Q snaps his fingers again. We flash two years earlier. Janeway and several of her crew blink off of the lost Voyager prior to the ship returning home. We flash eight years earlier. A newly Captain Sisko and many of his crew vanish off of Deep Space Nine. 110 years earlier, the whole bridge crew of Kirk's Enterprise vanish without a trace. The four various crews all show up there in the large garden area. Q and three others appear on thrones above the Starfleet crews. The new arrivals are Trelane from the Squire of Gothos, 
Aliborn, the Organian from Errand of Mercy episode, and a Metron from the Arena episode of the original series. What craziness do these four omnipotent races have planned for our favorite crews? To be continued. Well, the players have been put in place, and it took a whole issue to do it. Right. This issue, I didn't have the as big a problem as I have the next two. Yeah. Um, I mean, you had to set it up, and I kind of liked that. You know, Q's having a war, and of course, he doesn't. He doesn't care about collateral damage from, you know, pesky humans. No. So, setup was fine. I was really interested. I was like, yes, this is going to be good. Yeah. It's the next issue that I'm like, oh, oh, it's going to be one of these. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, one of the things I found most interesting about this, in addition to the last page and how they drew Seven of Nine. Oh, second, second, second to last page, sorry. They well, drew, now I got to go back and look. Drew very well. The thing I found interesting was the four omnipotent beings that they chose to include. you got to have Q, come on. And Trelane. Well, interesting thing about Trelane. I mean, aren't there stories that claim that Trelane was a Q? So this makes it clear that Trelane is not a Q. He He's is part of some other species. So right. it's kind of interesting. I mean, you know, you know what's canon, what isn't canon. I mean, he was a Q in just novels. So, you know, anybody can put together a novel. Right. Um, so that's not necessarily canon. But I just think it's interesting that in this one, he's not a Q. So. No, he is not a Q. And my thing was is that I was surprised. Um, there's four crews, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, for whatever reason, Archer didn't make the cut. But anyways, <laughs> four crews, three of those crews have all fought Q at one point, and then the other crew has fought the other three. So it's just like, man, the original series is really heavy on omnipotent, exactly. magical beings. I completely agree. Because I didn't even remember who the Metrons were, to tell you the truth. I had to yeah. look it up. Yeah. And now I've already forgotten because it's been so long. Yeah. Uh, what What episodes were they in? Uh, Aragorn. Aragorn was from the Organians. Yeah, exactly. I remember. I remember him. It and was then... the Metron. Oh, oh, the Arena episode. Exactly. Yeah, I totally forgot Gorn. that there was With even. The a, I forgot that there was even a being that was uh, orchestrating yeah. all that. I totally forgot about that. I just remember right. the Gorn fight. Yeah. Well, yeah, you I... didn't see him until the very end. You heard the voice, but you didn't see him until the very end. And he looked like a well, like that, a young right. blonde-haired guy. But then, in addition to that, there was, you know, the episodes where it was brains in jars, and it was, you know, they did a lot of brains the original series. Yeah, <laughs> weren't, weren't the brains in jars the one that made Kirk and Ahura kiss each other? No, the, the kissing thing happened with Apollo. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But there was brains in jars that made them do, that, that was omnipotent then too, right? Uh, there was a brain in jar thing that I think was in the third season, the infamous third season, and I don't—I honestly don't remember the details of it, except that it was horrible. Right. But anyways, uh, they really liked that that story storyline. Well, yeah, and and I have a similar kind of note. So it's interesting that three out of the four are all from Taws, mm-hmm. and of course, I think the most awesome extreme being is Q, and of course, he's TNG. So I, I thought it was kind of interesting that, that Taz is so heavy on that. And I came to a similar conclusion as you. You just brought it up. You know, Roddenberry was a lot more involved with Taz than he was with TNG. I mean, he was there to get it off the ground and stuff. But uh, And what was the first episode of TNG? 
you. Well, yes, and quite frankly, oh, do you know the story behind that? Uh-uh. Okay, I'll try to make this fast. So when they, Paramount knew they had to have Roddenberry back. They knew they wanted to do a, another Star Trek TV show, but they knew they really needed to have Roddenberry, at least for the fans to accept it. So, fine. So he's there, and there's a lot of friction back and forth and whatever, and then Roddenberry writes a one-hour first episode. And I don't remember the reasons, but basically Paramount came back and said, we need a two-hour thing, or hour and a half, whatever it turned out being. And so Roddenberry rebelled against it, said, one hour, that's what, it, that's what the script is, says, the script we're going with. And they said, make it longer. And he's like, what? And then finally he succumbed and made it longer. And that was completely the Q part. Oh, really? Yeah. So he added the Q part. And it's like, you know, those executives often ruin things, but they triggered Roddenberry to act. I mean, he may have had Q in his head at some point, but it forced him to bring him into the first episode. And, uh, and that's how Q was born. Interesting. Yeah. So did, did when you watch uh, what uh, encounter, the, at, encounter at Firepoint? Okay. Encounter at Firepoint, yeah. Yeah, do, do you get the feeling that when all of a sudden Q pops up, it's like, what the heck is this? Well, yeah, it's, it's because a, it was it's tacked a different on. show. Yeah, yeah, it was tacked on. Well, I mean, it, the whole thing was that that was what it split up the crew, right? And because wasn't uh, Picard? It's been a long time since I watched Encounter at Firepoint. Yeah, but me too. Doesn't Picard kind of It wasn't, it wasn't my more Q? favorite episodes. <laughs> Go ahead, continue. Isn't Picard kind of doing the Q thing and Riker's doing the encounter at Farpoint thing with the the space aliens? Or uh, or, or are they together? I, don't, I, I, thought, they, I thought they were together. Okay. But, but definitely I know... Definitely yeah, Picard that, was dealing with Q. Right. Well, yeah, and and they're there too. I guess... It's, anyways. Anyway, yeah, the, I, I totally see what you're saying. It does feel like there's two, two storylines. Yes, right? There's the... Right. The space aliens that are also a city, and then there's then there's Q, and they're not really connected. Right, exactly. And then they, I thought you were going to say he had the one hour, and then they were like, you make it two hours, and he's like, all right, I'm just going to reuse all this stuff from the motion picture and oh. uh, pat it out that way. <laughs> no. Mm. No. So, but anyways. So, so yeah, uh, uh, Taz was heavy on that kind of thing. And, and this isn't all of them, so... How about some honorable mentions here, huh? And and you began it. I think you mentioned another omnipotent being, but but I'm just going to start a, a list. So the caretaker from Voyager. Okay, so that was an omnipotent. Uh, what? Oh yeah, yeah, that's Nassian. true. N a c e n e is is where he's from, and apparently this advanced race like ascended. And uh, this guy stayed behind to take care of the Okampa. So I'm not sure, you know, where they went. <laughs> but they're ones that could have been in this. There's two. There's two characters in the Voyager series, so they might bring they might bring him back in this one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it, anyway, th- that was a possible, another possibility. And then of course the prophets from DS9. Now they did mention the prophets at some point in the in in these issues. I'm yeah, not sure which yeah. one exactly, but they did mention it. Now I always find the prophets kind of odd. I mean, so they're wormhole aliens of some kind, massive power, blah blah blah, uh, incorporeal 
I believe. And uh, but why they call them the prophets? I mean, well, that was because the the Bajorans worshipped them well, and didn't know, understand what you... they were, so they were prophets. Well, but okay, they didn't call it... themselves the prophets. Well, no, but but are prophets usually the people that somehow are the voice the voice of God? They're not God. I mean, the right, but I mean, but, but they had the or the prophets gave the Bajorans the orbs, and the orbs would you know tell okay, them the just, future and things like and that. I'm, so, and I'm just saying the names odd. Oh, you're you're saying that the, the writers odd. of the show. I thought they picked an odd. I think they brought, they picked an I odd you. name. I got, you. Just, I got you. I got you. I mean, if you look up prophet in the in the dictionary, it doesn't really talk about super beings. It talks about you know religious people who have like can tell the future or whatever, or right. know, gives or the word commune, of God or whatever. Humans that can commune with the uh, yeah, there you go with the greater beings. Yeah, yeah. but they're okay. not the greater beings. Anyway, I got you. I got you. Another. This came to mind. Although I'll I'll readily admit this is just technological levels, but on Enterprise, there was in the first season, uh, there was that alien guy from the future that kept on popping up and given, what was that race they used to give technology to or whatever that were their lackeys? Oh yeah, I forgot. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, the roach looking guys? They can kind of squish themselves yeah. flat? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Yes. Okay, so in that case, it was just a guy from the future with a superior technology. So that wasn't really omnipotent being, but he seemed to have a lot of power, even though right. he couldn't physically come back into the past, apparently. But anyway, I mean, but Trelane himself gets his powers through technology. Well, so... exactly. So where do you draw the line? Exactly. There you go. Okay, so I just All wanted right. to bring that up. Do you have other ones? Um, How many do you have well, so that I won't I, keep cutting off? I think that's it. Okay. What yeah, about the Thelusians? Uh, oh, they're kind well, of. I mean, at least the stories that they were in were kind of the same thing, where they yeah, could they got a lot make power. anything appear and make you do anything. Yeah, and... but that wasn't reality, though. I mean, they 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 they, had, they were like a one trick pony. They could put things in your head, but that wasn't real. Right, but I'm just saying, as far as story goes, inside of the story, once you're on that planet, you're completely at their whim. Yes. Well, that's true. Because kind of like Trelane, because Trelane could just do it there on that planet, supposedly. Yep. Within the episode. Yep. But the things he whipped up, they seem to be real, as opposed to the Telosians couldn't make anything real. But sure, Telosians. All okay? right. So then let's uh, let, then we'll have to put Picard in there too, because Picard has this thing called the Hollow Deck, and it can make <laughs> anything appear, and it seems really real. <laughs> Uh, okay okay Picard then (laughs) Starfleet Engineering okay fine Uh, okay who else you got I I know there's more oh yeah there's tons more I don't remember okay well there's a lot Uh, well I mean yeah I don't know it just seems like the original series they they were heavy on the just you know orbs of light or something like that that could do do anything right oh I want to mention one more thing about Enterprise Something that kind of bothered me is it seemed like the mystery bad guy from the future who used to come back and, like, it's like he was in a transporter beam the whole time when he talked to the, his lackeys. Yeah. It seemed like he couldn't actually physically come back in time. But what about Crewman Daniels? I mean, 
he came back from the future, and wasn't he physically there? Yeah, he was there. Okay. So Crewman Daniels had the technology to come back physically, but this other mystery guy didn't have the technology to come back, or he just chose not to I think he just chose, chose not to. Because okay. he wanted to stay in the future and manipulate things and then, then see, see how his timeline changes okay. based on... I don't know. It, okay, there you go. Just kind of, it just kind of weird. It just it's all made up, man. Well, I know that. It's I'm whatever the to, writer wants. I know that. But <laughs> some actually try to make things make sense. Right. So I'm just Yeah, I don't know. I maybe he was in a like a flux of time so that he could still see the original timeline but then also manipulate new ones. That must I don't be know. it. That must be it. I don't remember them explaining it. <laughs> I don't think they did. But in the Flash TV show, they've been kind of dealing with that the last season or so. Oh, really? With, uh, with somebody from the future trying to manipulate the timelines. So, well, that's it, it's it's a it, that's it, not that's not anti-Flash again, is it? I mean, it, wasn't that the first season? Wasn't it the first season? Yeah, they did all that. Yeah. Uh, yep. And is it anti-Flash? Or I got the name wrong. It's Reverse Flash. Reverse Flash. That's it. Okay. Anti-Flash. How embarrassing! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, All right, so what else is going on? Issue. Um, yeah. Are we ready to move on to something else? Oh, yeah, let's, let's continue. Yeah, different, right. different things about this issue. My number one complaint is why is Worf there? Because at yeah. the end of Next Generation, or I'm sorry, at the end of Deep Space Nine, he was going to become, he became Chancellor of the Klingons, and then he gave that to somebody else I can't remember. Well, hold uh, on. But, yeah, because he beat Galron, so then he became Chancellor, and then he didn't want to become Chancellor, so he gave it to somebody else, and I can't remember who that other person is. And then he became an ambassador to Kronos at the end the last episode. So that's where he should be at the end of Deep Space Nine, and then he came but, back to the Enterprise just okay. for the wedding in Nemesis, but it didn't imply that he was part of the crew. I just kind of got the feeling that he was only there because... He was there for the wedding, and then there was the crisis, so he kind of temporarily took his old spot. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, uh, okay, so definitely the whole next gen, what what period of time were they in when they came across? That's a very good question. Obviously, they got the new uniforms. It's pre-Nemesis. I agree with you. You just mentioned that in the synopsis. Riker's still there, and Worf should have been gone. You know, it might have been made. It might have made more sense for them to bring Worf uh, along with Cisco's uh, team, but exactly uh, the way they did it. But yeah, good point. But it's just that there's not a I mean, Picard doesn't have a, a memorable security officer except for Worf. Right, but you have to bring a security officer. I mean, to make, to make the teams even sure. What? Well, <laughs> well, Kirk didn't even have a security officer. I mean, yeah, until the movies. Off. That was movies. Yeah, I know. He was navigator back in Taw's days. Right, so, right. Uh, and all they had were just a constant uh, bushel of disposable red shirts. But you, <laughs> you, I don't remember ever seeing a, a like a leader of the red shirts. Nope. Anyway. Yep, yep. Good, good, good question. And then uh, what do you think about the artwork in general? I think in general it's really good. It's just that there are some times where it's a little, uh, I don't know, like muddy. No, that's not the right word. Like sometimes the faces are a little melty. 
Like, yeah. like, 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 I don't know, like wax or something. I don't know. But in general, I think it's very good. I like it. I, mean, I think the I mean, ships look really good. Ships look great, and the artwork, you know, gets the point across. But right. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, I, like especially with data and stuff. So I have to do a double take. They're like, "Who is this guy again?" Oh, that's data. Unless yeah. he's in profile. Um, I was having a hard time figuring out who it was. Well, I think, well, Messina. Yeah, Messina. Mm-hmm. I think he does some people better than others. Uh, and yeah, Data might be kind of on the not-so-great not side. Man, I just saw a panel where Jordy looks like a linebacker. He's got a, <laughs> he's got a tiny head and a huge upper torso. Hmm. Anyway. And then I guess, you know, with the costumes being so so much black, um, mm-hmm. I don't know why they decided to put like a, I don't know, like a star pattern or something inside of all of the black uniforms to give it some texture. But Star it seems, pattern. I don't know, there's just like little specks of white oh, within all, all of their yeah. costumes. Uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. So it almost I th- looks like I thought stars. it was just dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right about that, I didn't notice that. In space. It looks du- looks like dust, like they got dust on the drying paint or something. Right, right. Huh. I-, I totally see what you're saying. But yeah, I mean, they're doing it so that it's just not like a big blob of black and you can see some... I guess texture, but it's not really texture. It's just you see the silhouette of of a person's body and then little specks of white yeah. throughout it. No, you're right. You're right. Don't know. Don't know why they did that. Although now that I'm looking at a page with Jordy on it and I'm seeing specks on his black black parts of his uniform, I also see on the page something that you alluded to, which is how does Picard know it's Q? How did he? I was so mad. I was just like, because it looked like the Tholian web to me. I was just well, like, okay, oh, so, the Tholians? And then he's like, Q? And I'm well, like, what? I don't get it. What do it. I not remember? What do I not Q. remember? <laughs> yeah, I, I, exactly. So there's multiple shots of these planets, and they're like tan-colored planets. And, and then as soon as that grid pattern pops up, and I, I, I thought the grid pattern was just part of the scan. You know, the sensor. Exactly. This yeah, p- exactly. Part of the scan. And and then all of a sudden, damn it. And it's like, why? Why are you damning it? I mean, did, I, I was looking. Is, is Q's face somehow in the planet? And I don't see Q's face in the planet. Um, nope. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't Well, it, yeah, and uh, I was so confused. I, I thought, well, shoot, I'm missing pages. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, right. I had to go back and reread that page several times, and I'm like, it's just the pattern appears. He says, damn it, and then he's like, open hailing frequencies, Q, you suck. Yeah. You know, it's just like, <laughs> how did he know? <laughs> all right, so you don't, you don't know either. I don't I, I, No, That's one of my comments. All right, all right. Glad to hear it. I got one more thing to say about this issue. All right, shoot. Which is... Aelborn of the Organians. He is mm-hmm. devoutedly against violence in any form and interfering with people. I mean, that's why they did the whole act. They're just, they're just, we're just a humble little race, you know. We don't right. have any technology or anything. And and quite frankly, the Metrons too. I mean, they seemed like relatively cool guys. I mean, they did pit Kirk and the Gorn against each other in a fight to the death. But he thought that that was our way. But he seemed, you know, they seemed cool. And at the end, he was saying, oh, maybe in a million years, you guys will come up to a point where we might be able to have a conversation. But until then, go away, primitive guy. <laughs> but still, he seemed like he wasn't into, like, interfering with lesser beings or, you know, kind of cool. 
So mm-hmm. these two guys are definitely not cut from the same cloth as Q and Trelane. Agreed. So I just wondered what was going to go on with all this at this point. Right. Yeah, right now you're kind of invested still, but then the next issue just throws it all away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. That, uh, that I mean, I could totally see Q and Trelane doing this, but not, not the other two. Right. Okay. Oh, oh, and and oh, the last thing. Yeah. So I can't see those two races putting the crews in any real danger. And if that's the case, then it's not going to be boring. If they're not going to be put in real danger, quite frankly. So that's the end. That's yeah. That's let's the hope end it, of what let's I hope it's not say. boring. Let's hope not. <laughs> um, all right. So that's that is it for me too. Okay. On to issue two. Uh, well, hold on. I got one oh, more thing. Go ahead. Yes. So, the Enterprise is caught up in in, in a supernova at one point. It's and all the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. all they do is come out of warp and then kind of ride the wave, um, and then no damage. Yeah. Shields and inertial dampers holding Captain. Ride the wave out. Don't try to fight it. And Data says slight damage to the port side in a cell. Right. Yep. So I mean, a shockwave of a supernova takes out solar systems. So I just find it well, hard to believe that. Yeah. yeah. And, and and as we've seen, I mean, it's solar system, not other solar systems. Exactly, yes. I, Unless I, I it's the supernova from uh, from the JJ verse. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. <laughs> yes. But anyways, I just find it hard to believe that a ship can ride it out like that. Yeah. I mean, because they seem to be pretty damn close to it. Yeah. Well, they do make it look like it's very close. But so, you know, those advanced shields, I'll tell you, what multi-phasic shielding, does that, do they have that? Probably not. That would make them too powerful then. So anyways, that, that, I had a little bit of a problem with, with that on the early in the story. Yeah. Well, yeah Especially since agreed. we've seen, you know, we've seen it taken, you know, and I thought maybe they were going to tie this into what happened to Romulus, you know, with, with the supernovas. Mm-hmm. That maybe, you know, Romulus was destroyed not by one big supernova, but by a whole bunch of supernovas all at once. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think they're going to go there. Yeah. Anyways, that was my last comment. Okay. My truly last one is, it's nice to see the Enterprise-E in action. Agreed. They should totally do more. Love that ship. Based Love on this, that ship. this era. Yeah. Okay, issue number two of the Q Conflict. This one was published February 2019. Uh, I think I think almost everyone's the same. I think there's slight differences. Writers, Scott and David Tipton. Pencils, David Messina. Inks, Elizabeta D'Amico. Colors, Alexandra Alexakis. Artists, I think artists is different. Carola Borelli. A lot of European-sounding uh, people involved in the production. Lettering by Neil Yataki. Edits by Chase Morotes. Editorial assist by Annie Per Hentupa, group editor, is Denton J. Tipton. Group editor. So uh, I thought Denton was a like a co-editor before. I don't know. Whatever. I don't think I've ever seen a group editor title before. But I'm sure maybe it's, it's been out there. I just haven't noticed. Okay, three covers. Cover A features Trelane likely trying to make a point with verbal flourishes. And hand gestures. And he's in the upper half of the cover. Kirk, Worf, Tuvok, and Jadzia Dax headshots are in the lower half of the cover. And the cover's uh, done by David Messina. 
Cover B presents the advanced Metron alien in the top half with smaller heads and shoulder shots of Riker, Major Kira, Captain Janeway, and the Doctor in the lower half. Janeway uh, does not... Quite frankly, I don't think Janeway looks enough like Kate Mulgrew in this cover, and quite frankly, in a lot of the drawings in the book. But there you go. It's uh, Captain Janeway's team, I guess, in that cover. C is an interesting one. Definitely didn't get it at first. I mean, it looked like some kind of alien or something. Alien robot or something. But it is, it's the Retail Incentive cover A, and it's a drawing of an idealized statue of Picard in a Greco-Roman style. The statue is in an oval, gold-colored frame with a banner that is kind of draped diagonally across it that reads, Natidius Fortuus Altius. And uh, I, I looked up those words, and I'll say something about that later. They're Latin words. And then uh, the word conflict is in big letters across the bottom of the cover. And the cover is by George Kalt Sodas. The frame around the statue and the, the slash is a big Q. Okay. So it's the Q conflict. Okay. But yeah, you're right. It looks yeah. like a, a Ghostbusters logo. Uh... <laughs> A Ghostbusters logo? Well, you know, okay. with like the no smoking type thing. The Q looks like, like oh. you know, the, the no smoking yeah. with the statue inside it instead of the ghost. That's why I said Ghostbusters. Oh, it's but, like a knot symbol. Yeah, I didn't see yeah. the knot symbol. But yeah, but it's it's the Q conflict, and then right. it has the, the Latin in the middle. Okay, okay. It's kind of interesting. Cool, yeah. Okay. And then I'll, again, uh, I'll more on that Latin that I'll bring up later. Okay, so that's it for the covers. The story begins. The final two individuals are selected for the four teams. Aylborn selects poor Harry Kim for the final Organian team member, which leaves Trelane to select Quark. At first, Trelane is unhappy about being stuck with this leftover, but then he sees the potential for fun and gets Quark going by referring to him as a troll. Quark protests loudly that he does not even know why he is here, given that he is no member of Starfleet. With the team selected, an impressive and diverse roster of Starfleet's finest are assigned to the four teams led by Janeway, Sisko, Kirk, and Picard. Kirk explains to an incredulous Dr. McCoy that he does intend to go along with this charade until they can find a way to turn the tables on these godlings that at the moment hold all the cards, and all of them. Q briefs everyone on the first challenge that involves the ancient Iconians and their gateway technology that allows instantaneous travel across the galaxy. The Iconians are long gone, but their technology lives on, but to some degree in disrepair. The malfunctions have created a patchwork planet that is actually made up of many other Iconian worlds overlapping with each other. Kind of confusing, the description. On that planet, the team will find the Iconian's gateway engine, the key to their transportation technology. Whichever team finds it first will win the first event of the contest and get to keep the engine that should be very useful in the following events. Sisko speaks, saying they will not hurt or kill each other in this contest, or hurt other people they come across. 
Picard warns Q to not change the timeline. Janeway simply states, no cheating on Q's part. Q feigns hurt feelings from the lady captain's few but harsh words and agrees to their terms, but also warns them in return that if the teams do not perform to the four godlings' satisfaction, their worlds will burn. He tells them to be gone to their respective vessels. The contest has begun. The four teams find themselves on the bridges of A. The intrepid class Voyager commanded by Captain Janeway. B. The Discovery TV show's version of the original Constitution class Enterprise with nacelle nipples under the command of Captain Kirk. And we'll talk more about that later. You know, which version of the uh, Enterprise it is. The small but powerful Defiant class U.S. S. Defiant under the command of Captain Benjamin Sisko and helmed by a slightly confused Hikaru Sulu. D, and the final, is the mighty sovereign class Enterprise E under the command of Captain Picard with Spock in the first officer's chair. Each captain and crew are getting used to each other as they approach the patchwork world and determine that transporters will be useless due to their overlapping gateway instabilities. They all prepare shuttles and pick away teams. On the descent, Riker in Captain Janeway's shuttle spots Picard and team in an Enterprise E shuttle. Riker is able to use the shuttle's command codes to disable parts of Picard's shuttle to slow them down. Touche, number one. Touche. The Voyager shuttle and Galileo 7 experience a very rough ride with lightning storms as they try to approach the Iconian base near a volcano. They decide to touch down away from the volcano and hike their way in. The team lands and makes their way to the Iconian base after getting past huge purple bird attacks and huge alien apish creatures. The teams enter the base through different entrances. As they investigate the base, Kirk almost walks into an Iconian gateway transportation device, but is pulled back by Worf. Who knows what to look for due to his past experience with them. Janeway's team makes it to what appears to be a control room first. Just as their investigation begins, Kirk and his team knock on the door. It opens, and Kirk's team almost get in when Riker is able to shut the door on them. Kira and Chekhov detach the gateway control unit, and the four of them use an active gateway to leave the control room just as Kirk and his team walk into an empty room. Janeway's team emerge from the gateway into the garden, where the Metron and the other godlings congratulate Janeway on her win. Janeway's team gets to keep the device that they may or may not figure out how to operate. The other three teams arrive, including Picard's team bringing up the rear, which triggers some derisive comments from Q. The Metron is happy for his win and is in Q's face over his loss. Q maintains his composure, but then addresses the contestants. I hope you are all ready for the next round, because this was child's play compared to what's coming up next. To be continued. I think that was a hint that it's going to have something to do with killing dolls. The, killing who? A little killer doll. Child's play. <laughs> I think, I think, I I think he's it. teeing it up. I get it. I get it. <laughs> All right. So I got a question and it's driving me nuts. Yes. What? 
it's even worse than the grid thing from the first issue. That <laughs> okay, added. yeah. So when it shows the four of them talking there on that last page, okay, there's a that. face in the clouds. It looks like Barkley, but oh yeah, why? yes, yes. What the hell is that? Exactly. I completely agree with you. Was that an Easter egg or something? And why? Why would they bother with that? Now, now is, is that a hint of something to come? That's what I was wondering. What if this is all just like a holodeck program that, uh, that Barclay's doing? And he's just watching. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's like his face like, hey, look. My, you know, my program's it, running pretty cool. It, I don't know. I was just like, what is that? It is Barclay, right? It looks like Barclay to me. I said that I wrote the same thing. Yeah. Why is Crewman Barclay's face on the sky behind Trelane in the middle of the last page? Yeah, it's funny. So I even went back to like the previous pages to see uh-huh. it, was Barclay one of those crew members, and he's no, not. No, no, he's not on the teams. So I don't know. I was kind of wondering if that was supposed to be some sort of hint that this is all fake and. Well, I'll tell you, if they come to the end of this thing and it turns out to be what you just said, this is a holodeck program of Barclays, I'm not going to be happy. Although yeah. that, that, that would kind of explain how all this could happen. But, well, these are omniscient beings. Sure. Whatever. Whatever. Well, here's another way it could have happened. Uh, it could all happen. And it could also fit into maybe Barclays doing it. Mm-hmm. Last year, I think it was last year, they came out with a mobile game called Star Trek Timelines. Yeah. And in it, you would get, like, crew members, like, little cards, you know, little yeah. digital cards. And then you could, like, fill out your ship with these digital cards. And it was from all over the timeline, right? You okay. could have Janeway and, mm-hmm. and Tuvok and, and uh, Archer. You know, you, you, you made up your crew of all these different crew members that whoever you just happened to get in these little digital card packets. Right. This issue is a lot like that. You know, you just well, have a crew member of all these different people. You have a crew of all these different timelines in, yeah. your, in your crew, and you're just going off doing the best you can with whatever you get. I agree. This whole thing seems like a video game. Yeah. And it feels like that game. It feels like the, the Star Trek Timelines game where, you know, you, you can have, like, away team Sulu with, uh, Spock, you know, with uh, you know, movie era Spock with, uh, and then with movie level Riker. You know, it was just like whatever you got was whatever you got. And when I on that third page when it showed all the crew members or all the teams, right. That really made me feel like that game, you know, was just like, oh, here's the cards you got, you know. Kirk got Worf, you know. It was just like so random. Mm-hmm. Um so then I was like when that last page I'm like, oh, maybe maybe uh Barkley's just playing on his iPhone and uh that's <laughs> that's just a reflection in the, in the sky. <laughs> He's playing on his smartphone. That's funny. Exactly. And then somebody looks up and sees his face. <laughs> what do you mean? We're all a stupid game that costs a buck ninety nine on the on the app store? Damn it. Yeah, I've downloaded that game twice, uh-huh. you know, to give it another shot. And yeah. both both times I'm like I play it for a couple hours or night maybe not even that. I know the first time I gave it a good long time. Uh-huh. Uh, sev- several days worth of coming back to it and then I'm just like it's just not that interesting so yeah. I end up deleting it. Yeah. That's the feeling I get from these issues is just that you got a random crew, you're doing a random thing and then the next issue. Right. Yeah. Which in the same way that you were not as enamored with the game, you may not be as enamored with the issues, some of the issues. Right. Okay. 
I, I wish they would have just come out and said it. Oh, this is a Star Trek timelines crossover uh, tie-in. <laughs> I'd probably exactly. like it better because a lot of times, like when you know DC Comics does the, you know the the tie-in to their video games, I end up liking those stories maybe even more than than I like the game itself, just because I know what I was getting into. Right. <laughs> so, anyways, that's my little rant about the <laughs> the, the overall. Uh, that's the way the, the way the story. story's going. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's something detailed mm-hmm. uh, in that cover I mentioned before. The words from the retailer and set of covers, uh, the Latin words. Yep. Nitidus fortius altius. Okay, so it has several meanings, but the one I like best is smarter, stronger, higher. And then when I did a search of that online, I read that it is similar to the Olympic motto, which is citius altius fortius, which means faster, higher, stronger. So, okay. It's kind of like a kind of sort of a Picard spin on the Olympic motto, apparently. Huh. So. Interesting. Or at least, at least I assume that was the intent. But, you know. Anyway, uh, well, so. Well, you went through the effort of uh, looking up your Latin, and I did not for issue number one. So I wonder what that one is. So well, what, what, something was... for glory, right? Okay. Well, I, I didn't look it up. I just I looked uh, up this one. What, was, it, was, is, was that another one by George? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was very similar. It looked All like right. a propaganda poster, and it yeah. had uh, Verta et Gloria or whatever at the bottom, which okay. translates to, let's see, strength and beauty? Strength and beauty, so. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. George has a little thing going. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, also when I was doing all this, this searching, it looks like uh, George is based in London, England. So I guess he might be English. Or at least he's living there. At least he's living there, yeah. Okay, so there's that. Poor Harry. What about poor Harry? He's the next to last guy being picked. I mean, talk <laughs> about talk about a demeaning situation. You're there amongst Starfleet's finest, and they're picking stinking softball teams. I mean, right. talk about exactly. being, being the... teleported back to, <laughs> to to freshman year PE or something. Uh, and poor Harry, just what? Because he plays clarinet, he can't get a better pick? Anyway. Yep. Yeah, uh, I do find the teams, the team picking was kind of funny. <laughs> so, I mean, the last, the last four people to get picked, I guess, was... Uh, Rom, or is that his name? No. Um, well, Quark's the last one. Quark, Quark. Yeah. yeah. Drew a blank on his name. Quark, Ahura, Sulu, and Balana. It's like, that's, that's kind of weird to have Balana as one of your last picks. But it is weird yeah, that Balana and Scotty are on the same team. Yeah. So that means somebody you... doesn't have much of an engineering group. <laughs> exactly. I think engineers could be very handy. Yeah, so Janeway should probably win that one. Yeah. <laughs> she picked Scotty before she picked... Oh, no, no, she doesn't get to pick him. It was the, the Metron pick. Yeah, him. exactly. exactly. <laughs> I was going to say Janeway picked, picked Scotty before she picked Bologna, but uh, She's not the team captain. <laughs> exactly. She's the captain of the team, but not the team captain. Uh, yeah, she's like the... Uh, yeah, she's not the owner. She's... <laughs> the godlings are. They're putting together the teams. So real quick about the teams um, and the cover, 
Yeah. So you mentioned the cover that had the Metron on it. Yes. And it had Janeway, which didn't look like her, the Doctor, Kira, and uh, Riker. Right. The Doctor's not in it. He's he's not there. In the first issue, he was giving Janeway a, a, a checkup when she just suddenly vanished. He doesn't ever vanish, and he's not part of these teams. So yeah, that is kinda, odd, isn't it? Kind of weird that he made the cover yeah. and nobody else on the Janeway team, like, you know, Scotty. Or that would make more sense. Even Chekhov made right. the cover. So what is the deal with how they decided who went? I mean, you think there's a pattern to it, but then mm, not always. I mean, you nope. think it's the teams that, that have been picked, but not always. It is the team. What do you mean? Oh, oh well, the covers? Yeah, the covers. The covers. Yeah, the no, teams. the covers. They, 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 that's what they were, except for well, the doctor. They all matched up. That's what I just said. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so maybe the, the artist. Well, the artist drew the insides, too, so I don't know. These are all done by Messina. Hmm. Yeah, so you think he would have known. Yeah, well, he did the books. <laughs> so he drew the book. <laughs> exactly. Well. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of the artwork real quick, O'Brien, when he shows up in it, he has a, a baby face. He, very odd-looking depiction of O'Brien. Yeah, what, yeah what's... The, uh, that's on page... Uh, what page is this? Nine of the PDF or the Comicsology page nine. Right. Yeah, it just he looked like a little baby. With... The bottom line is, it, it's very hard to draw <laughs> O'Brien. <laughs> he, Apparently, he get the short end of the stick. A lot. Apparently, there's just something about your face, O'Brien. <laughs> something about your face. But then Worf looks massive. I know he's supposed to be big, but. Well, he look he looks like he's like a head taller than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was that I mentioned how Jordy uh, was drawn so big, right? In that in that one uh, conference room thing, it's like, oh, well, okay. Are you done speaking of that? Because yeah, 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 I, yeah. I definitely want to talk about the original Enterprise. Oh yeah, the the nipples version. Well, as you call the it, the Discovery version. It, it's a combo. It's a combo. So if you take a look on the page where they show uh, the four ships along yeah, with page the 14 7 yeah is it 7 yeah it's mm-hmm. it's er, it's early-ish. look at it that is the dis- that is the Star Trek Discovery that is the reimagining of the Enterprise from the TV show with nipples is it it is so take a look at the pylons the nacelle pylons right uh, it has the line being... that comes down. You're saying that's the little negative space in the in exactly. Discovery? Exactly. Okay. And not only that, it's swept backward. I mean, if you'll remember in the original Enterprise, they got those stupid skinny little popsicle stick nacelle pylons. So that is not that in any hmm. way, shape, or form. However, it does have nipples, which <laughs> the... the um, or nacelle nipples, I guess I should be more precise, uh, which the Discovery ship does not. Also, take a look at the bridge. So middle top of the saucer section. There is a rectangular piece that runs from the bridge all the way back to where the impulse engines are on the back of the the saucer section. That is a 100% Discovery, 0% original Taz ship. And the nacelles themselves... Look at the nacelles. There's details on that nacelle that is not 
the original Taw's nacelles. So they kind of, as they go backwards, they kind of taper off a little bit. And also the like the heat fins or what whatever towards the back of the nacelles, they're they're more smooth. They you know, how, how they how they go into the the nacelle itself, and, and they're much more. They're, they're not smooth like that. I mean, they kind of stick out. Anyway, I could go on, mm. but I'm not going to. The main mm-hmm. point is, it's somehow a mashup of the Discovery Enterprise and the original in this picture now. There are other parts in these books where it looks more like the original Taz ship. Right. But so you just the, think it's just page, that first picture? I think it's the first picture. Right. And then later on in the book, the Galileo 7, it's the Galileo 7. They haven't screwed with it. Uh, it's, a very, it's very faithful to the original shape. Which is funny, too, because they're riding down and all these guys from, from 100 years in the future are going, what a rust bucket. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and really, you take a look at the original one and look at those sleek, cool-looking uh, shuttlecrafts. Yeah, well, I mean, all of the original Enterprise stuff looks bad. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I yeah, that's true. But for so many years, so many years in Next Gen, they had this, the, the dumpiest-looking little shuttlecrafts on the Enterprise-D. Not that bad, though. They're, okay, not okay, not as bad as the, <laughs> as, as the Galileo 7, but pretty dumpy-looking. Little, right. dumpy, nothing sleek about it at all. But I guess when we got to E, well, I always thought that uh, Voyager had some of the sleekest, coolest-looking shuttles. Uh, right. Impractical, by the way. It, that, I mean, it's so sleek, it's, it's not very, it doesn't seem like it's very practical. Like, it, it, for the size of the shuttle, it looks cool, but not a lot of space inside. Uh, it's, like, it's like you keep on hitting your head against the windshield. But um, <laughs> but then they went for that same or a similar aesthetic apparently in the uh, later movies, next year right. movies. I did always like the, um, the Defiant shuttle because it kind of had the, it kind of looked like the Defiant as far as the yep. the nacelles. Yep, they were the kind of high up. Very similar. Yeah, yep. and don't they kind of like pop up? So there's so much so little room. The Defiant, the shuttle's mm-hmm. small too. It's very compact. Exactly. And and, and I doesn't the two nacelles kind of pop up once it gets away from the ship? Do they? I don't remember. I think. I think maybe not. I think so. Anyway, but that's that's the smallest shuttle. Uh, but, but yeah, definitely. Like but that. inside the inside the Galileo, there is hilarious because it's literally just. Chairs bolted, chairs bolted on plywood. in a rectangular in a rectangular <laughs> room. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So speaking of that page, uh, Chekhov is flying the the Voyager one, right? Yes. Why? Enough. Because Paris is part of Janeway's team. Well, so you think that they would want the best pilot piloting with them? You would think so. But for whatever reason, they decided uh, Chekhov in and Paris out, which doesn't make sense because Chekhov's not even a pilot. So, well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Who Sulu's flying the? Pilot. Yeah, I know, but he's not. Yeah, Sulu's I know. the pilot. Yep, yep, yep. Chekhov is the security guy yeah. at one point and the uh, uh, navigator at another. But it should have been Paris. But I guess they wanted they Paris. wanted to make sure they had one person from each I continuity. Guess so. I guess so. But if you've got, um, well, they've got. You know, you're right. They, they do mix them all up. Wouldn't you think Riker would make more sense as the pilot, or maybe maybe Janeway? Maybe Janeway. Oh, I'm right. sure Janeway. I'm sure Janeway's a, a competent pilot. And oh, she, yeah. At least she'd be familiar with the instrumentation. 
Right. Anyway. Yep, you're absolutely right. It should have been Janeway. Yeah. Well, like I said, they just feel like they shoehorned Chekhov into that yeah. panel. Yep. 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 Just so they could say, we got one from each. <laughs> Check. Check it off. Right. <laughs> Check it off with Chekhov. Ooh. Good one. Okay. There you go. Uh, okay. What else we got? Why do they, uh, Kirk and them change clothes when they get it, out? Wh- why do we have the exact same comments in the exact same order? <laughs> I've got the same. So they're on the patchwork planet, and Kirk puts on a Star Trek the motion picture landing party coat. Uh, and, and, and isn't Worf trying to get one on, too? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, I, I think that totally is random, but I kind of, I don't know, I, I thought it was kind of cool. But uh, but, it uh, but it didn't make any sense. It but, made no sense. And then, but they don't have it. No, they do. Yeah, they're, they're using them the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, they land, and then they just put on these jackets for no reason. Right. I guess it's cold. I don't know. Well, no one else has jackets. <laughs> no, the rest of the crews don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Messina must like that, like the look. Yeah, I don't know. I thought maybe it would factor into something later. And Nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they probably would have gotten first place if they wouldn't have stopped to change clothes. Because, I mean, they were so <laughs> close to being first. Exactly. Yet they cha- had to change clothes. You know? Exactly. Kind of like when Mr. Rogers came home and he had to change clothes. Into a sweater. Look at all, look at all that playing he could have done. If he Except he had to change clothes and change shoes and sing a song. Exactly. Waste of time. Yeah. Just get Good to the point. business. Good point. Get to the business. Anyways. That's all I had to say about this one. The monster that came through and tried to grab Kira. Kira, okay. yeah, yeah. Kind of interesting, but didn't really go anywhere. Uh, well, it, it was filler. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of the kaiju from Pacific Rim, because they right. actually kind of look like them. Okay, cool. It reminded me a little bit of the uh, of the tentacled monster in Watchmen. Only it oh, was yeah, huge. Yeah. I right. mean, it was massive, but... I mean, this one just looks like a normal kind of medium-sized tentacled monster. Right. Yep. Anyway. Right. That's it for me, too. Okay. Okay, then. Number Shall three? we move on? Let's. All right, so issue three, uh, I believe it came out in March of 2019. The writing and edit staff is all the exact same from issue number two. There is three-ish, three covers, and these might be my favorite covers out of the series so far. The uh, first cover is by David Mencia, and it shows the Enterprise E, and below it is the Voyager, just kind of flying towards the reader. And then cover B is also by David Mencia, and it shows the original Enterprise, NCC-1701, and then below it is the Defiant, kind of flying again at the reader. I thought maybe you could put the two covers together and it would make one picture, and maybe you can, but because uh, it kind of, yeah, because it'd be a starburst in the middle, and then Enterprise E and Voyager flies off to the left, where the original Enterprise and the Defiant are flying towards the right. So that would be a cool little poster. And then uh, cover 3RI, which is by George Kestoldis, is, it's kind of a, I don't know, an artsy-looking, just, I don't know what to call it. But it just shows kind of the silhouette of all of the four ships again. But they're kind of all flying in a swoop up towards the top of the picture, the cover, with the Enterprise E. It almost looks like the Enterprise D in red, 
and then below it, inside of the nacelles, is the Defiant, and then to the left is Kirk's Enterprise, and then to the right is Voyager. But again, it's just silhouette and trails that kind of make a swooping uh, picture. Don't know how else to describe it. It's very tough. Alright, so the story starts with the four godlings, as Ken's calling them, uh, team captains, discussing with their Starfleet crews the outcome of the first event. The Metrone is pleased that Janeway won the first round. Q was quite upset with Picard that he came in dead last. Trelane is very proud of Kirk for coming in so close at number two. And Aborn seems to be the most reasonable out of the four. And he just tells Cisco that he's worried that Q will not stop the war unless his team wins. Cisco then offers to basically throw the game and let Picard win so that Q can stop the war. But the Organian says that uh, that that Q would notice that they're not trying and he would still continue the war regardless, even if he wins. So once the pep talks are over, Trelane then tells everybody the next challenge. He wants a war game between the four ships. For some reason, because I guess he thinks that Kirk's Enterprise would have a chance against the other three much newer, much more powerful vessels. The Starfleet captains remind him that they will not harm one another, so he then changes it to a capture the flag event with Voyager and the original Enterprise versus the Defiant and the Enterprise E. So it's whoever can capture the other one's flag and bring it back to their home base. The game starts, but shortly Trelane gets bored since there's no fighting. So he changes the game by dropping in the planet killer from the Doomsday Machine episode right into the middle of the fray. The four ships are now required to destroy the planet killer. A long prolonged attack against the killer ensues with all four ships eventually combining their firepower and then the Enterprise E follows up with a quantum torpedo killing shot. The gambit works, and Picard is given credit for the kill. Back on the planet, the two crew. Back on the planet, the crews are then teased with what the next event, and that it'll somehow involve the profits. To be continued. The profits. Well, another super alien race we had mentioned earlier. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. You mentioned it. Yes. So, ah, uh, okay. So, I, you know, I thought this was the best issue so far. Just because whenever you've got the Doomsday Machine in the mix, I was not expecting it. So it surprised me. It was audacious. It was an audacious move by uh, Trelane. And if anybody's going to do something like that, oh, it's going to be Trelane. And I, I kind of like that. Uh, and I like the idea that they acknowledge that there's 100 years worth of advancement. And we've got three fully functional ships, three of which is 100 years advanced uh, weaponry and, and technology and things like that. And uh, so uh, I'm glad the, th- the four ships were able to, to just take it out. Mm-hmm. Although I got to say, when this whole thing started, it's like, okay, Kirk comes to this with a lot of knowledge about this thing. And that was incredibly important for their win. However... How, what the heck was the Enterprise going to do? Kind of similar to the your comment about if they really did have a, a mano-a-mano fight, you know, the original Enterprise would have been uh, outmatched in every way. Right. But, hey, apparently Cisco was stupid, got in, fr- in front of the uh, <laughs> Doomsday Machine, and then the Enterprise gets to be tow truck. Great. 
So it at least gave the Enterprise something to do. It did give them something, and an important <laughs> thing. So it had to it had to save the Defiant and then position the Defiant later, so then it could use its weapons, which actually work as opposed right. to the Enterprises. Right. Exactly. Taws Enterprise. That is. Oh well. So it really anti-client. I mean, it made sense, but it's like, oh, that's it from the old girl. That's she's a she's a tow truck. Anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it was. I mean, I guess I guess your point about them having his crew having more knowledge about it, but uh, but you would think that they would have uh, learned about it in school and stuff. Yeah, you you, you would. Yeah, but you know, there's so much stuff going on. Who knows um, how much learning you can get and, rem- and retain? But yep. yeah, we did. We we mentioned uh, Apollo. He, he could have been one of the. Uh, Mm-hmm. The omnipotent beings too. Yep. But yeah, so yeah, so I mean, there's so much stuff that happens in the original series that you can't expect them all to know everything. Right, right. Sorry, the Apollo thing incredibly random, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> a little, just a little. But it just popped in my head that I was like, if you had to sit there and learn everything that uh, the original series did week to week, that's that's a lot. Know, I don't think you would believe it. <laughs> well, of course you wouldn't, because it's all yeah, made so up. You, you mean that they put a Vulcan's brain in a jar, and he was mm. still able to control his body? And later, I he, don't believe it. he instructed McCoy how to put his own brain back in his head? Wow, that Spock is smart. <laughs> oh, my God. What a horrible episode. That was so I- the worst one. <laughs> I don't know. I think the Kirk becoming a woman was that was bad stuff. and misogynistic. But the writing, the stupidity of Spock's brain, has got to be the uh, the winner. Anyway, <laughs> so I love the the huge picture of when you first see the planet killer, mm-hmm. and then you see the original crew. You know, five of them. You know, reacting to it. Right. So that that was cool. And then how tiny uh, the Enterprise is, right? Which, um, which just you know, I I know you like the Doomsday Machine, but uh-huh. it just reminds me of a bugle from, you know, the corn chip bugle. Yeah, <laughs> that I, I can't ever take that seriously. You it's can't just, take it seriously. It just yeah. looks ridiculous to me. Okay, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, I think it was the most lethal. Spaceborne weapon that Kirk and company ever had to go up against. <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's an awesome snack food. <laughs> uh, so speaking of artwork, um, yes, in in regards to the Doomsday Machine, uh-huh. the ships are completely out of scale in this issue. The Enterprise, Kirk's Enterprise, looks almost as big, if not as big as the Enterprise E. You know, especially when. When it's, it's blowing up and they're flying away. Yeah. Yeah, no. It, it, the, it should be tiny. Yeah. And I'm looking and, at a, a panel right now where the Enterprise is the same size as the Defiant. Right. And no. I think the original Enterprise is bigger than the Defiant, but they look almost the same size when it's doing the uh, tow truck duties. To- towing it, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and Defiant should be smaller than the Voyager. Yes. But not by much. But, yeah. uh, but here, all four of oh. them look to be comparable size. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, 
the amazing mighty morphing original enterprise okay so l- allow me to allow me to make a few observations okay. so there's a shot when defiant ends up getting hit by the doomsday machine this mm-hmm. beam thing and at the, it's at the top of the page and it shows enterprise e and then the uh, voyager and then original enterprise like it behind that like to the side of the uh, above the doomsday machine and back a bit Right. Take a look at the Enterprise, original Enterprise. That looks like the squared kind of rectangular... The m- movie era. Exactly. Movie era nacelles. And then if you look at the next page, well, clearly, pretty much... You know, it, it's a little different, but it's pretty much uh, original Taws nacelle. And look at the pylon. That is original Trek pylon, uh, yeah. nacelle pylon. Right, it's missing that line that it had in the last issue, well, which yeah, and you said is the negative space from the Discovery Enterprise. Uh, right, and it's not swept back. Ah, you know, good like point. Uh, it, yeah. So actually, there's a lot in common with the Discovery Enterprise uh, nacelle pylons and the movie era uh, Taws nacelle pylons. Anyway, yeah, it just keeps changing. So I, I think he just is having fun with it. He's just throwing in different things. Consistency be damned. It's because he's getting different cards in the game. So you can use different ships. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a lot, of the, um, a lot of the panels in this issue. And I must say, most of them is very accurate to the original Enterprise from the, from the TV show. Right. Which, I, that's the way it should have been in the first place. But whatever. Yeah, well, artistic license and exactly. whatnot. And it's fine. I'm going to stop whinging about it. Yeah, I just don't... I mean, if you're going to do a story like this where you're mixing up everything, mm-hmm. why exclude Discovery and Enterprise <laughs> and um, and even the JJ-verse? Why not, why not go all in? Why, why pick and choose? Yeah, well, uh, if they could have fit in... Enterprise, fine. That would have been fine, but no, not JJ Verse. No, no. Even though, not as far as I'm concerned, JJ Verse has had a run in with Q and the I, Deep Space Nine people I from know. this universe. I know. I th- I just think it's too much. I mean, I think it's. I I think the I think the writers are having a balancing act with just keeping enough people busy here. I mean, what did Judd Sia say anything ever? I don't think she's even been on the page. Yeah, and well, Paris she's been on too. a cover. She's been on a cover. Yeah, yeah, Paris didn't say anything. You know, it's like, it's bad yeah. enough. Seven of nine? She, I don't think she's had a single line the whole time. No, story. I mean, she was just, she was looking great in that first issue, but uh, <laughs> I, she's not saying anything. And then Uhura, you see her in a few panels, and she's even in one of the five people shown when you first see the Doomsday Machine, but she doesn't say anything. True, uh, true. All right, so the second issue had a event that kind of tied into an episode of the Next Generation, and this mm-hmm. one had an event that kind of tied into the original series episode. Mm-hmm. So, and then they're definitely teeing up that the next one will tie into the Prophets, which is a Deep Space Nine right. thing. So, right. So then I guess maybe the Caretaker will be in the fifth issue, which <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. So that way, at least one issue kind of ties in with a story point from each series. Maybe. Or do you think I'm reading into it? No, 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 I think it's possible. I think it's possible. 
They could do anything they want to. And if that's the, the kind of thing they did, kind of spread around a little bit. Or maybe they just, rather than like mechanically doing that, they just looked around and said, well, who are the, who are the most interesting other omnipotent races? Uh, how can we work those in? Uh, so maybe they're not necessarily saying, oh, we need one from you know, Deep Space Nine. But, oh, maybe they are. Right. Yep. I don't know. I just... It just keeps reminding me of that Timelines game. I keep... <laughs> well, maybe that's going. where they... I keep going back to that where it's just like, I, I, can, I can expect, like, the Borg or somebody to show up and then I'll, they have to fight the Borg and... Right. Or, you know, uh, I can't remember. Klingons. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. It would be kind of cool if they did do, like, the Klingons where... There was four teams of uh, bad guys. Mm-hmm. That, I think that would have probably been a better story if, if like you know, four eras of Klingons, you know, four ships from the four different franchises were fighting these four ships from the four different franchises, and then you would actually have a conflict as opposed to this, we're gonna do a race or a capture the flag type event. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, so you mentioned the thing about the four-way duel that Trelane had proposed at first, and like, mm-hmm. my God, uh, the Enterprise would, the original Enterprise would have been out of it quick. But they would have to do something to make them more even. Um, so we kind of talked about that. But I had the additional comment, uh, is it's uh, kind of too bad they didn't take Q up on the offer to cure everyone, cure everyone afterward, because I would be interested in seeing a shootout between those four ships. But they, again, they have to do something about the original Enterprise. Right, right. I think that would be... Yeah, so the original Enterprise, too weak. Enterprise-E, too powerful. And uh, something to, to even it out. But I think that'd be an interesting uh, four-way shootout. Yep, no, absolutely. Uh, and, you can, and you can see that if you buy the Star Trek uh, Timelines game. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can play it. There are uh, there's another game called uh, Star Trek Encounters, I think it was. Okay. That, or maybe there was uh, Legends, Star Trek Legends. Anyways, it was, it was a game where it had all four captains mm-hmm. from the time. So it actually had Scott Bakula, Shatner, mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart, and Kate Mulgrew. Mm-hmm. They they actually had their voices in the game, and you started off in the playing Archer, and you got to build up a little fleet. Mm-hmm. And then when you finish that timeline storyline, you move to Kirk's era, and then you could like replace your armada. You know, the 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 capital ship would be you know the Enterprise from that era, mm-hmm. but then your supporting ships would still be from your old era until you upgraded them or replaced them with newer ships. But then you could also do like a one-on-one battle where you're fighting other people that just happen to create their team using four ships from all the eras and in that one even though the enterprise the nx01 should have been incredibly underpowered compared right. to the other ones um when you did the one-on-one matches they they did kind of boost up their stats okay yeah. but but when you were playing the campaign mode if you had a whole fleet of nx01 ships you were getting your ass kicked as soon as you started fighting <laughs> <laughs> so when i played i always tried to keep one nx class ship in my fleet until the very end. That was that was how I figured out I would win by, you know, upgrading my other three ships but leaving that one NX zero ship in there for some reason just for just to say I beat the, you know, next generation Borg ship using uh, a fleet that included an NX zero one. <laughs> anyway, due to my but, cleverness. 
but anyways, uh, that's that's what I thought about when when he showed that like piece of paper that had the four different ships with the little red lines. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it made me think of that game where you you could technically have a fleet of those four ships. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I really should try to make more time for those kind of things. Uh, there was also another Star Trek game where it's just I just don't have time. You know, when I started playing it and stuff, it was like it was showing all these rules and ooh, you got to do this and you got to do that. And it's like, oh my god, can I just? Is it one of the newer just games? Shoot, like the mobile game or what uh, game? Are you talking about? It's a mobile game. Yeah. Is it a, the newer one? The it's one where you like have to build your it's resources timelines. and stuff. Star oh, Trek it is timelines. timelines. I got Star Trek Timelines. It's just that when I launched it like a year ago when I got it, yeah. it's like, oh my god, you're going through all these rules and how you got to keep track of things and stuff. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. No, it's I, Like I said, I, I, I've tried it twice and I'm like... And when I say tried it twice, I tried it for several days, didn't get into it, deleted it, came back a year later because my sister got into it. And yeah. I was like, all right, I'll give it another shot. Nope. Deleted. Well, the graphics look really good. Or at least yeah, the splash no, page cool. while it's loading. It looks really good. It's got a board cube. Looks nice. Oh well. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, so there were a lot. There's a lot of chit chatting going on in this one. So seeing Aleborn and the Metrons conversation that was kind of bugging me from earlier. So Aleborn and his people are pacifists. You know the Organians strictly mm-hmm. non interference. All that kind of stuff I said before. So um, they did have a conversation here where they had a similar conversation to what Kirk had also with McCoy, where McCoy was saying, I can't believe you're going along with this. And then Kirk is saying, I'm going along until I find a weakness and pounce. Well, that's kind of like what the Metron and Aleborn have a similar conversation going. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of beings just going along with this <laughs> without, you know, this Q idea, without really wanting any part of it. So... Yeah, I did like how the Metron said Trelane acts like a child. Yeah. And then Airborne's like, he is a child. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He is a child. If he is a child, then where are his parents? He exactly. needs a good spanking. Exactly. Yeah, well, we can't have that end like that again here. Right. If they pull that, that thing again. But it definitely seems that Air, Airborne, or whatever his name is, is trying to... I think it's Aleborn. Aleborn is trying to communicate to... Cisco, that you know, Q's not gonna, Q's not gonna follow through with the uh, the piece, anyways. So exactly, I'm I, I'm kind of figuring that he and maybe Metron is are gonna team up and try to get their crews to somehow beat Q and Trillane. Yeah, I also think that that key that uh, Janeway won in the first contest, I just have a feeling that's gonna come into play somehow. Yeah, uh, they definitely didn't mention it at all in this one. No, no, but. I think somehow that's... I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, what is the key, dude? M- moves them through space I, fast or something? Yeah, I think you can jump to different places in space instantaneously, I believe. Because isn't, isn't that the, the thrust of that ancient society's portals? I mean, it's basically, right. it's basically a Stargate. Yeah. Uh, so they're able to jump around to going through these portals. Well, I could definitely see Janeway using that when she gets back to the real world. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, but then I could let her have it. No. <laughs> no that would be very handy. But I could see her wanting it. Like, oh, oh yeah. This will be great. <laughs> Alpha Quadrant, here I come. Exactly. 
I just noticed in this issue that Jacote was on Cisco's team, which there's another character that doesn't get to say much. So there you go. Oh, also Troy. Okay, so I noticed Troy is drawn with brown hair in the rosters team page, and she always had black hair. I right. guess I, did, I guess I didn't quite recognize her 100%. So, again, it gets back to the point that there's so many characters in this thing. Not everybody can, can have a significant uh, part in it. So. Right, like Troy, Crusher, um, the doctor from uh, uh, D.C. I forgot his name. Brashear. Uh, Brashear. I mean, none of these people have had anything to do in the story. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure what exactly Constable Odo is going to do. Because he's, he's, he's not he a spaceship guy. at least had a, guy, a conversation but... with Spock at one point, so yeah. check mark there. He did something. <laughs> he said something anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If it would have included Enterprise, you know, what, Hochi? Hoshi? Hoshi, yeah. You know, she, they wouldn't have let her say anything, you know. Probably the only people that would be able to say anything would be uh, Archer and uh, Trip. Oh, uh, T'Pol. That's T'Pol. T'Pol. That would have been it. But, I mean, they're not using Spock all that much either, so. No. No. But we're only halfway through, so we still got three more issues. Good point. Good point. We can get a lot of people involved. Okay, that's all I have to say about this issue. Do you have anything else to say about the issue, or do you want to say something overall? I have nothing to say about anything. I think I've done said it all. (laughs) It's all been said. It's all been said. Um, I I know this is going to be old news, but the actor that played... Nog? Nog, exactly, passed on, which is a shame. What was he? The guy like 50 or something? Uh, Yeah, 51 or something. 51? Wow. That's too bad. Uh, Do you know what, what did it? Was it? Uh, he had. Um, I think he was born with only one kidney or something like that. He had. Oh. He had medical problems, which oh, is probably why hmm. he was so small and was able to play oh, a teenager gotcha. right, when right. Uh, when the show was on. Uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, I think it was just complications from his fighting condition. that his whole life. Right. Right. No, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, anyway, he did a great job in that character as an actor. I think it was a great character. No, nah, he was great, and uh, from everything I've read, everybody's everybody who had met him said he was you know super nice guy. Live live life, live life to the fullest. Mm, that's good. Didn't, didn't let anything uh, get get him down. So right, not oh, good. Sounds good. like a good guy. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so uh, anything else going on? Uh, um, nope, nope. So they got that new theory, which is probably old news by the time anybody hears this about. The girl from the new Picard show, the young girl. Uh, now they're saying, "Oh, it's going to be Picard's daughter." And yeah, okay, we all we all pretty much know she's a, she's a former Borg. So now they're saying, "Oh, it was Picard and the Borg Queen produced the, the this this brunette girl." They they got it on. That's kind of ooky. Well, when would they have done that? Okay, so so in the original um, Best of Both Worlds, is that what they're saying? Because that would have been the only time, I think. Yeah, uh, well, definitely she, not first contact. She could have taken the sample and done it in one of those incubation cubes at at any time. So yeah, that's true. Uh, when yes, during Best of Both Worlds, when they had him, right yeah. when he was Lacutus. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's where it would have to be. Yeah. Mm. Yuck. Yuck. Right, but if she was born as a cube, then I don't. I mean, uh, uh, born as a Borg, then I don't see how she could ever be normal. 
you know, like well, even Seven of Nine, she's... who was Borg as a kid, still yep. was never, yep. you know, she still had all those implants and stuff in her. Right. But in the previews, you'll see that I think it's Romulans or somebody. Somebody's calling her, like, the the planet killer. I mean, they're, they're calling her like she's, oh, my God, she's going to end everything. Or, you know, she's some kind of big, great threat. So, may, I mean, she is unusual in that fact. I mean, she's she's the product of a human. Well, how else do they have babies? I mean, they I mean yeah, assimil- yeah. They, they there, assimilate there are people... babies? <sighs> no, I'm pretty sure we've seen Borg babies. Have we seen Borg babies on yeah. somewhere? Yeah, okay. And, okay. Yeah, and the, uh, they found, like, little Tupperware dishes that were full of <laughs> Borg babies. They, they were like those Tupperware drawers. They would, like, open it up, and there was a little baby in there with Borg implants on him. Ah, right. The Tupperware. Is there anything you can't do? (laughs) Yes. Okay. That was in the, uh, that was in Next Generation. And then in Voyager, they they had the little kids that were. Okay, okay. So so maybe she's not that special. I don't know. But whatever, they they were making a big deal out of her. She's some focal point of whatever the heck's going on. Right, because she's Lol. That's why. Data's daughter. Oh, uh, no. (laughs) <laughs> no. Well, no? anyway, I really, I really hope this this series turns out to be good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, anybody who watches the show hoping that it, it will be bad, uh, well, no, I just don't get. Yeah, There's people know, out there but... that want it to be bad. They want, you know, they want the new Star Wars movie to be bad so that they can have something to hate on. And yeah. I don't get that. You should like, you should always want the best. Yeah. Even, even if you don't like some of the other stuff, you should always hope that the next one is the best movie ever. There's a lot of commentators out there, especially some of these jokers on uh, like YouTube with their video things. Right. They're uh, they're very haters. They're very much haters. And uh, and definitely, I don't like the idea of giving a, a movie or a TV show a pass just because. Oh, it's Star Wars, or oh, it's Star Trek. I mean, they got to pull their own weight and have good Absolutely. stories. But some of these people, they just they're just out for blood. I mean, oh, Discovery sucks. It's horrible. Uh, you know, it scares men. Uh, oh, uh, Star Wars is... Uh, you got too many people that aren't white. It's like, oh my God, relax, guys. Yeah, it is kind of scary on how many how many of those are out there now. Yeah. But then even, like, you know, you have J.J. Abrams who, are, who basically said that the people who don't like the new Star Wars movies uh, don't like strong women or something like that. And... And, you know, the well, fact that the people making this stuff are the ones saying that, oh, you hate it because uh, you're, you're a white guy. Yeah. Uh, that, that to me, also is, is, no, that, I, I is part agree. of the problem. It's, well, uh, quite frankly, there's lots of things in Discovery where the storytelling was very hit and miss, uh, and from, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then um, this new batch of Star Wars movies. Uh, I love Rogue One, but, you know... Force Awakens, uh, what the Last Jedi? I think those are the two, right? Yeah. Um, they they were okay. They were good, but they none of them were great. Not by a long shot. And then that's uh, because you're a white guy, Ken. Not because the movie was bad, but because <laughs> you were you're a white guy. I I, I well okay. Uh, no, no I, it's I'm, the story. I'm being facetious. I know I'm you are. Just saying, I know you are. The fact I that J.J. Abrams actually said that is what's like. I don't, I don't, why would you say that? Well, uh, well, to some degree, it's probably true. There are people out there that probably precisely because of that. But don't think that that's the only thing. Not by a long shot. 
right. you've got to actually come up with a decent story. Right. You know? I mean, the st- you know, special effects were lovely, but if you don't tell a good story, I don't, I don't care. I don't right. care. And I think Star Trek, the Star Trek movies... A, qu- a perfect fall example. The, ...fall in the same boat. Uh, with the original one, the motion picture. Well, I'm just talking about the newer movies. They didn't. Oh. They didn't make enough money because you know, and then people well, want to point out all the things that, all the reasons why. Well, the first one made a nice, nice chunk of change. Um, the the sec- the 2009 movie. Right. Um, the second one made less, but still made a ton of money. The third one didn't make a lot of money, but they didn't promote it. And quite, fr- I I love I love Beyond. I think I've said it before. You have said it before. I'm repeating myself. It, it wasn't perfect, fine, but it was very good, and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I would love to see more like that. I, I've enjoyed them all. I would love to see them. Yep. I, hell, I mean, just because you make one bad one doesn't mean the franchise should be shelved. I, I don't of understand why they're not doing it. And which one, which one is bad, by the way? Well, a lot of people don't like Star Trek V. Oh, but they Star Trek V. Oh, they kept going. Yeah, well, exactly. Star Trek V sucked. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's pretty bad. It's but again, bad. And, and, and quite frankly, going. the motion picture. I mean, that almost killed it right sure. there. I mean, it was just, it was too, yeah. The, it, it, the motion picture was everything <laughs> that Wrath of Khan wasn't. I mean, they were like mirror images of each other in a lot of ways. Uh, you have to have the right balance of story and uh, a little bit of spiced up action, but don't go overboard like the JJ verse tends to. Right. I mean, gotta have a big action piece every ten minutes to keep people's interest. Right, and have the saucer section flip over on the planet. Oh, that was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Not for a story part. It's just like they just did it to. Well, they they were trying to squish some people, right? <laughs> What was the reason? Oh, uh, well, they were trying to get away from uh, the bad guys, you know, Kirk and Chekhov. And then, right. what did, uh, did, didn't Chekhov or somebody uh, do the do the thrusters to help to help them get away? Yeah, yeah, this? right. Yeah. They were they were on the planet already, and they were just trying right, to right. Yeah. squish the people by flipping it over. I can't well, remember. It's been okay. a while since I've seen it. Yeah, so Kirk wanted to retrieve that. That ancient device that, you know, Adiris Elba wanted to get. So, right. so that's why he was there. And then the traitorous alien chick, she was trying to get it too. And then Chekhov, you know, they had it. And then, you know, they had to get away. Anyway. But that was That was spectacle. That was... Yeah, the only thing about it that I, I really don't... I mean, there's a couple of things I don't like, but... The biggest thing is the sound, <laughs> the music that was blowing up all the, uh, the swarm ships. It's like, God, that, that was painful. That was painful. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. Okay. All right. Is that it for today? I think we this have episode? completely forgotten that we're even talking about comic books. <laughs> uh, but not Star Trek. Right. Okay. Well, uh, if anybody held on this long, thank you, number one. And uh, should we wrap it up? Yeah. Next week we will be doing four, five, and six. So we'll finish up the Q conflict. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. 
Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.